لو كان سلعة تباع لبذلت فيه الأموال العظام أو صعد في السماء لسمت إليه نفوس الكرام بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين Welcome all listeners and viewers to yet another episode of the TBM podcast which is a project dedicated to helping examine with knowledge contemporary affairs happening in the Muslim communities Likewise we discuss topics such as studying in Saudi Arabia benefiting from some of the most prominent Islamic scholars of today how to apply to different universities juggling middle life along with study self-improvement education books and much more There are new weekly uploads every single Monday at 9pm KSA time 6pm UK time 1pm Eastern Standard Time and sometimes it's every other week So sometimes it's weekly sometimes it's Bi-weekly, we should say. Yeah. <laughs> and it might even get to a uh, chance where it's like no, every no, three no. weeks. No, 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 bi-weekly. Yeah. But, okay, least, hopefully. Inshallah. Inshallah, we hope so. Nah. So it's back to just me and you this week. <coughs> After having a few uh, guests on the last few weeks. Nah, it's good to be back, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. How you feeling, bro? I'm good, alhamdulillah. I've got my own camera today, inshallah. Mashallah, get your old seat back as well. Got my old seat back. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your take on having guests on? How, how do you like it so far? Yeah, alhamdulillah. I mean, it's... Uh, a breath of fresh air is good to have some guests on especially when they talk about their expertise or the thing they're good in yeah uh so yeah you need to start digging for another guest inshallah inshallah, inshallah. also take the uh, recommendations from the people in the comments as well no. let's see if we can find another guest for next week inshallah so what's new going on from, from the things that i want to talk about was the um the new stopover visa i'm not sure if you've seen it but i posted it in telegram yeah, yeah, like mashallah. yesterday or two days ago yeah so there's this new visa this Allowing people to stop in Saudi Arabia for up to seventy-two hours. So I'm just going to go ahead. Seventy-two or ninety-six. Seventy-two. Okay. Or no, I'm sorry, ninety-six. I'm sorry, ninety-six. Yeah, yeah. So four days. Yeah. Four days. No. So you can go do twenty-four, forty-eight, seventy-two, or ninety-six. No. So let me just go ahead and just read from this little brochure that's been spreading around. It says the stopover visa is offered to passengers traveling to their final destination on a national air carrier such as Saudi Arabia or FlyNAS. So you have to. It seems like you have to be on one of these two. Airlines. Yeah, so it's a, it's basically a transit visa, which means transit. That yeah. On your whatever destination you're going to, if you go to Skyscanner or whatever you take mm. it, get your tickets from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you find Saud Saudia Airline, mm. or you find FlyNAS as an option, mm-hmm. which has a stopover uh, in Saudi. Is there any sp- is there specific airports? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Okay, so if it's a stopover <coughs> in Saudi, I suppose it's going to be only, it's going to be Jeddah and Riyadh. The ma- major international airports anyway, it's not going to be the local ones. Yeah, I mean, some of the most important things that you're on Saudi Saudi Airlines or FlyNAS. That's it, yeah. And Going then, to your end destination. Exactly. And then obviously the that, that stopover needs to be either s- between 24 hours too, mm. or even less if you want, but... M- no minimum, obviously, but maximum four days. Like yeah, yeah. So it says that. So that's one. That's one of the conditions. Then it talks about how the stop stopover visa is open uh, to all leisure. So you can do business, religious travels, leisure, even Umrah. Even Umrah says, yeah, religious yeah. travels. So, so I'm guessing Umrah. Yeah. Hajj probably not. No, not Hajj. No, no, I doubt Hajj. Hajj no. So then it says the first stopover visa uh, to be digitally integrated with the airline. So this is just just showing how new so it is. So you just need to. Get the ticket and don't even Pretty worry much. About it, it says you obtain it in like three minutes. Yeah, don't even worry about it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know if you get it, I guess, online, right? Yeah, through the yeah. tourism e visa. So, yeah. and it's free too. It's free of charge. Yeah. So, you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. That's pretty nice, actually. <laughs> I think it's very beneficial for yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a proper good move, mashallah. Definitely. By the government, because that way, obviously, their airlines will get much more 
a bigger share of the market. Obviously, more people yeah. will take will take those uh, planes, which is good. Alhamdulillah. <coughs> I mean, I've traveled to Saudi before. Mm. Beautiful. One of Beautiful. the best airlines to go with. It's a bit expensive these days, but. Uh, expect it to be become <laughs> even more expensive. Yeah, yeah. With it's, this. Nice. it's nice though. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> with this price, it will probably even go up even further. But uh, Alhamdulillah, they have a little prayer area at the back and it's just very comfortable, right? Alhamdulillah. They do the dua before you travel off, the yeah. dua when, when uh, also arriving. Yeah, then they got the masala. Don't need to worry about halal food. Obviously, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Fly nice as well, I think, is one of the. I think, according in Saudi, the companies that people trust the most. Fly nice. Yeah, really? Flyers yeah, and Marai, Marai and Flyers. These are companies that just in Saudi they're the most loved companies. Oh, you talking about? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. They've got very good definitely. reputation. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely. traveled Flyers before as well. Yeah, very professional. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. I made a mistake. I remember when I was booking a ticket for my mom, mm. I changed uh, the date of birth was wrong, something like that. Mm-hmm. Literally on WhatsApp, texted them five minutes done, and that was like. 30 minutes before the flight or something like that like an hour before the flight wow <laughs> yeah. wow that was that was amazing yeah that's nice mashallah. <laughs> mashallah. so one thing that people do need to take in consideration though, if you're coming on that uh on that stopover visa and you're trying to do umrah you do still have to register for the umrah through the nusik program yeah so you have to sign in through that in order to apply for the the, the umrah yeah but alhamdulillah like you i mean it's a nice opportunity Come so, yeah anywhere days, you're going to nice if you next your next travels if it's to dubai if it's even even if you're going from maybe Europe to somewhere east mm-hmm. like whatever then you know it's it's, it's on your way so Sah. I think it might be a good option might even be cheap Sahih. so Sahih. always keep that in mind if you see Saudi Saudia or Flynas in the results on Skyscanner when you're looking for <laughs> your next flight <laughs> then go for it that's a free Umrah trip there <laughs> Sahih. Sahih. Yeah. what else is new man what else is going on <clears throat> what you been up to how's Magister I mean, I just literally on Thursday or Wednesday. Yeah. I don't this fossil. Inshallah, I definitely Expl- like Explain it. to the viewers what Itidar is. Yeah, Itidar basically is I excuse myself for this term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, basically I pulled out of this term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Inshallah, like I said, next term, hoping to get the fikra in. And then summer holiday comes, I'll probably disappear. Mm-hmm, no durus. Mm-hmm. I'm always Sorry nervous to, to ask you about the magister. Yeah. No, no, let me ask you about your magister, mashallah. I heard you're making some good progress, mashallah. Alhamdulillah, it's moving. After some time. Yeah. You know, alhamdulillah. Mashallah, The idea has been accepted, and now Allah it's time now. Yeah, jazakallah khair. Mashallah. I changed my uh, mushrif as well recently. Yeah. And Sheikh Fahad Fuhid is my, my mushrif, so that's been very nice. He's very beneficial, helps out tremendously. Mashallah. And yeah, now it's time to get ready to start writing. So tell me about having Sheikh Fahad Fuhid as a mushrif. Ah, it's amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I what mean, he, mean, like, so. Uh, compare him to your previous mushrif. <laughs> yeah, just Allah, okay. You know, may Allah reward my previous mushrif. <laughs> may Allah reward him, okay. I'm not going to say nothing. Better get value. I think we just, there was some uh, maybe lack of communication between us and maybe some misunderstandings between us. Okay. So that, so if for the people who don't know, the mushrif is like, that's like your academic advisor. That's yeah. the, your counselor, pretty much. He watch. he's responsible for watching over you. Supervisor. Supervisor, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So he is pretty much your door between you and the uh the department the department yes yeah. so um so you present your things to him he gives you feedback he helps you fix it you know theoretically speaking yeah and then he goes and presents it to the legend which is the council of the other doctors or the uh teachers yeah. instructors and they give their feedback so he's basically your voice 
He's my your voice. Your representative when it, it comes to your Exactly. Figure. I'm not in the room. He's my voice for me. No. He's supposed to be, you know, defending my topic, putting it forward in a good way, etc. No. Um so yeah, my la- my last mushrif, Jazallah Khair, he was uh Alhamdulillah, I think we just need to switch up. Now yeah. I got Sheikh Fahad Fahid, that's the most important thing. And Sheikh Fahad Fahid has been very, very, very beneficial. Um, within the first week, I think we uh, had communicated, seen each other in person, and got the topic accepted. Then within the next few weeks after that, you know, I'm, we're, I'm invited to his house. We're going over my khutbah. The khutbah is pretty much like the context of what's going to be in your research. Also giving me feedback. And then Mashallah. that's it. Completely <laughs> different, eh? It's completely different, and it, it's important. To have, and this is this is something not even just for a Jamia perspective, but even like the new students coming. Like this is a program that I would wanted to I would want to do, which is to do something to have some type of leadership or council, like a big brother program, right? To yeah. look after our younger students who come. Because how many people come? I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, I know some yeah. some students. I know one particular brother. Mm. He came from Canada, mm. and then. He didn't know much about the whole ins and outs of visas and what have you. His mm-hmm. visa ran out. Yeah, yeah. ran out. Yeah, yeah. And he basically lost his spot on the ma'ad. Yes. Yeah, and that's like after he came. So me and another brother had to like literally go and speak to the wakil and help him out and stuff. Eventually, you know, helped him out. But he's like, I didn't know. I didn't know. So there's a lot of ins and outs. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of things when you come here. I mean, it's a foreign country, right? I mean, now it's getting a lot more, I guess you could say progressive and yeah. a lot more modernized. But when we came, it was like. Yeah. Everybody fitting for themselves. Yeah, you, know, you gotta figure yeah. out your own way, um, and it's still to now. It's still kind of like that to a certain degree, but having people who's more experienced in the in the in the field who can help you no. and direct you to where at least where what door to knock on, yeah. which khatam, which stamp you need, yeah, etc. This yeah. is very beneficial. It saves you a lot of time, and this is what yeah. I'm realizing the magister uh, again being re- re- reiterated, reiterated with Sheikh Fahad Fahid, where yeah. he's just mashallah, he's. Directed me on the right path. <laughs> and I wouldn't actually say just <clears throat> university. Mm-hmm. Any student of knowledge, any aspiring student of knowledge yes. needs a, a trustworthy pair of pairs of, ha- pair of hands. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the person who's teaching him. I know the Durus are many and everybody's teaching left, right and center. But you know how Durus are. Mm-hmm. Durus is like, it's like communication one too many. Sahih, sahih. Like you're there on Zoom, you got 100, 200 people attending. But yeah. Some of them are aspiring. Some people, they attend the Durus to benefit themselves and their families and for the reminder, may Allah reward them. Mm-hmm. And some people are aspiring students of knowledge. They want to take things to the next level, mm-hmm. right? They need a level of, okay, where are you? Okay, what are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? What do you need to focus on? Uh, what books do you need to learn? Yes, because every person has very precise needs. Mm. So Alhamdulillah, I actually started a mentorship program. I think a couple Months ago, yeah, yeah. It was one of the tales of my Patreon, and uh, it's been going on for three or four months, specifically focusing on memorizing Quran and memorizing Quran mainly actually. Mm. So I've got a female teacher and another brother as well that teaches. So I don't actually, they don't recite to me, because mm. you know time yeah. restrictions. Yeah, of course. But I do this level of oversight, mm-hmm. like first time we do a meeting and um, I make them a plan, a khitta, mm. and then I connect them to the teacher. Mm. And then I follow up so you're And the, I answer their questions So you're the supervisor Over the program Yeah mm. So I'm kind of like Mentoring them I'm not teaching them But I'm mentoring them mm-hmm. You know if they're Falling a bit behind yeah, A bit yeah. of uh, uh, Accountability Yeah, yeah A bit yeah, of yeah. you know Advice If they have questions They ask me What shall I start with And From my experience now These past couple of months I noticed that Every single one of them 
is at a different level mm-hmm. when it comes to their seeking knowledge. So, so some of them they say, "Usah, I want to memorize Quran," but then when they start reading the Quran, it's like, "No, actually, you need to start, you know, f- working on your reading fluency, yeah, you know, yeah, before yeah, you start memorizing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't know that, you mm-hmm. know. Alhamdulillah. Anyway, I think it's, well, uh, it's, important, it's an important thing. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. 100%. Yeah. Now, so uh, moving on. Right now, we're in the month of Rajab. And we actually forgot to talk about this in the last podcast. Um, just, you know, Rajab and the different things that come along with the month of Rajab. Yani. And for those people who may be not familiar, there is a lot of different innovations that are spread in this yeah. month. And um, so I think at the beginning, just before Rajab started, mm. I think... All of the masajid, they did khutbah on yeah, they were. innovations of sahih, Rajab. Sahih, sahih. Even Sheikh Ali Haddad, all of them. Yeah, sahih. Warning the people before it happens. Like we said, exactly. not after the fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. Islah is to warn people of something evil before it happens. 100%. Not that you go on YouTube <laughs> after it happens. Yeah, yeah. You know? Sahih. So alhamdulillah, that was So great. we're a bit behind on this. <laughs> yeah, we're a bit behind. <laughs> we're a bit behind ourselves. But we got but Sha'ban to talk about. Sahih, we got Sha'ban. And then alhamdulillah, yeah. Ramadan's also coming up. Yeah. It's not from the sacred months, but there's different things that you gotta, you know, prepare yeah. the people for. No. And also the bidas of Shaban as well. I mean, people might not know what you mean now. It's not a sacred month, and yeah. Ramadan is not a sacred oh, yeah, month yeah, in a yeah. sense. So, so when we say sacred months, we we mean Ashhar uh, al like the no. sacred months in which Allah Taala, you know, He says in the Quran, "Inna idda al-shuhuri inda Allahi ifna ashara ifna ashara shahran fi kitab Allahi yawma khalaq al-samawati wal-ard minha arba'atun hurum." So, indeed, the number of months with Allah Taala is twelve lunar months in the register of Allah Taala wa Taala. The day Allah Taala Taala created the heavens and the earth. Of these these months, these twelve months are the four that are sacred. What are those four that are sacred? You have Rajab, you have Lul Ka'ada, or Lul Ka'ada, in another uh, way of saying it, Lul Hijjah and Muharram. Yeah. So Rajab is the only month that comes by itself. Yeah, it's when I say by itself, meaning not connected in direct line like Lul yeah. Ka'ada or Lul Hijjah. Yeah, they're and all Muharram. consecutive. Them, them two are them three are consecutive, back no. to back, no. right after following Ramadan or following uh, Shawwal. No. Then you have Rajab that is by itself. So these four are, are the sacred months. Why do they call it the sacred months? Ashurul because in them times, uh, it used to, Allah Taala prohibited the fighting, the qital, no. the fighting during these months, and no. they used to provide passage for people to go and make umrah or hajj. No. So this is why it's called the months of uh, the sacred months. No. Now there is some kalam. Like even in, even in Jahiliyyah, the Kufar Quraysh, they used to know this. Mm. From the previous legislation, Ibrahim and Ismail, no. and they used to uphold it to a certain level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they used to play around with it as well. No. So it's something that Islam came and you know kept and emphasized as well. No. That these months. So that's why the the Arabs used to fight each other a lot at that time, pre pre Islamic period. E- exactly. Exactly. But these three months, they used to hold back now. Exactly. And in these sacred months, you're supposed to stay away from, uh, yani doing bad deeds even more so. No. Yani because it can get magnified. So this is the importance of actually knowing the the Islamic calendar as well. Yes. I mean, not only about, you know, there's so many things connected to the Islamic calendar. Like we said, the sacred months, then you have, you know, Hajj, you have Ramadan coming up in two months. You have uh, different innovations connected to some of these months that you got to worry about and connected no, to people. So it's so important, against. actually. That, that point that you made is really important because mm. as someone who grew up in the West or being in the West, it's like when you are constantly doing everything according to the the uh, solar whatever calendar the Gregorian calendar yeah. the Gregorian calendar it's like Ramadan kind of like creeps up on you yeah <laughs> you know Eid creeps up on you it's like you don't know Sahih. where it came from what Sahih. Ramadan Sahih. Sahih. <laughs> you know but w- with us here in, in a Muslim country it's like you just need to check the calendar you know how many months like if I check the, if I check my watch now 
He says 14-7. Ramadan starts in the 9th. I can just look and be like, okay, so that's uh, 16 plus 30, 46 days left for Ramadan. Mm -hmm. That's how easy it is. (laughs) But when you're like, don't have that, you have to like literally go to some kind of calendar convert and whatever. And it's very hard, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. to be aware of these rulings. Mm. Most people maybe that are listening to this podcast now that live in the West, maybe it's the first time they heard about Rajab, number Mm. one. And even if they knew about Rajab, maybe they just found out that Rajab actually started or it's almost yeah, halfway yeah. and then it's a sacred month <laughs> and it's a sacred month which you need to stay away from yani doing yeah. uh, fawahish and things like that so um yeah so there's some kalam yani i've seen like a mess are connected to the actual ayah you know uh of you know not doing any type of qital in this month right from the ayah of allah ta'ala where he says yes shahrir haram you know they ask you about the sacred month regarding fighting therein the scholars actually mentioned about yani this there's some people who believe that this ayah was actually abrogated. No. Yani the ruling. So now you can actually do fighting and things like that in it. But the jamhur, uh, or what's apparent, like Sheikh Ben Bass said, what's apparent from the, the verse is that yani is still in play. No. Of course. So I just wanted to bring that up as well because I thought no. it was it was interesting. And again, no. yani this shows yani the importance of knowing the the Hijri months and also from the mercy of Allah Ta'ala, a reminder that this was something like you said established what even before no. Islamic legislation. No. So and and when when we say you're not allowed to fight in the sacred months, of mm. course, we're talking about the legislated jihad. Of Otherwise, course. you're not allowed to <laughs> yeah. you're not allowed to fight in the sacred months or outside the Sahih. sacred months. Sahih. But in the sacred months, the Prophet would not, for example, go out and maybe uh, you know fight the Quraysh. And the Quraysh would even fight him as well. Mm. And they might sometimes overstep, but. This mm. was generally known to be uh, times of the year when there's a general peace or some kind of truce that mm. hey, that's not nobody's fight anyone. Sorry. So Sorry. it doesn't relate to uh, you know <laughs> fighting as in zulm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That zulm as in fighting someone or going beyond bounds is haram in every single month. Every single month. And even more so in these sacred months. Sorry. 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 Yeah. Fiq. Akhi, um you sent me a video that you want to talk about. What was that video? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a beautiful one, Akhi. Allah Akbar. It's uh, a clip by Sheikh Adil al Sayyid. Those that don't know, Sheikh Adil al Sayyid is one of the Egyptian scholars. And I um, mean, subhanAllah, one of the most knowledgeable of scholars, Salafi scholars alive today when it comes to tafsir, if not the most knowledgeable. Mm. And he's been doing tafsir for almost 20 years, I think. He started yeah, yes. in, yeah, I've seen it. Like yeah, that, yeah, he's on Surah Mu'minuna or something like that Hajj or Mu'minun Allah Akbar You just passed the halfway mark He's been teaching for over 20 years And Hafizahullah uh, <coughs> Ta'ala So this clip uh, The Shaykh is talking about his brother mm. Al-Muhandis uh, Muhammad Abdussalam I think his name is uh, Who passed away Rahimahullah He mm. passed away two or three days ago mm-hmm. And this clip The clip I sent you actually Was from uh, about three months ago When the Shaykh's brother Had an open heart surgery mm. And um so the Sheikh in that clip, he's talking about, and he mentions at the beginning, he says, and inshallah the clip is translated, one of the brothers he translated it, he wants me to review it. Mm-hmm. So inshallah by the time the podcast goes live, you will post it, you beautiful, think beautiful. I follow the link. Yeah, just send it to me inshallah. Yeah. Um, so the clip just mentions, to be very concise, the Sheikh mentions that he doesn't normally talk about family issues, just like nobody does normally when it comes to the Rus, but he said, I have to mention why I didn't come, uh, the lesson, or I cancelled the lesson, is because my brother had an open heart surgery and he said, my brother is not like any brother, he said. He said, this brother of mine, he said, over 20 years ago, he said to me, 
عادل you go and teach yes when it comes to your sustenance your money your family anything that you need it's on me Allah I will fund you and I'll fund your work you just do nothing but huh teach sit down research seek knowledge and teach the people Allah Twenty years, Akhi. Twenty years, Allah Akbar. And he said, "Bishart." He said, "Bishart." He said that I get a share of the reward as well. He said, "Of course." <laughs> he said, "Of course." Yeah, that's no question. You facilitate this, you'll get the reward. So the Sheikh mentioned that uh, that was three months ago when he was sick, and how uh, you know all of this khair. Mm. Sheikh has taught tafsir, he's taught Sahih Bukhari, everything he's done for the past twenty years. That after Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has been facilitated by the generosity. Of his brother, so that I just wanted to share that because Allah, that's it just yeah, it's beautiful. It shows us that you know, Subhanallah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives different people different nimas mm-hmm. and different ben- uh, blessings, right? And we all want to benefit the ummah, and we all want to contribute to the thriving of the Islamic ummah. But some people, Allah has given them, you know, intelligence. Allah has given them, you know, love for knowledge. Mm-hmm. Others, Allah has given them wealth. Mm-hmm. Others, Allah might have given, you know, some kind of power or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever you have, you can help the da'wah. So, you don't have to be an alim in order to facilitate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about this a knowledge. few times. Like, everyone has their role to play. Yeah. Like, in the Muslim community, everyone has their role to play. And that's a beautiful story that sh- shows exactly that. Nah. Beautiful example. He nah. knew he was in this. I think he was a hundas, he said, right? Yeah, he was a okay, engineer, yeah, engineer. He was an engineer. And then, so he knew his brothers also... You know, in the field of da'wah. Nah. We both do our thing. I'm going to do nah. engineering, nah. but I'm going to help you also with da'wah. Nah. And he was himself. The Sheikh mentions, he himself started He said he never missed a tafsir class. Allah Apart Allah. from that day. Allah <laughs> Allah Allah Allah. He would always be there yeah. attending the class. Allah yeah, Allah. his brother, you mean. His brother, yeah, his Allah. brother would always be there attending it. So, And that reminds me of the hadith with the Messenger of Muhammad narrated by uh, Anas, I think. He said that two men, two brothers, came to the Prophet and one brother is complaining about the other. Mm. So one of them would work. Mm-hmm. He would work. Yahtarif, mm-hmm. He used to work and go out and make money. And the other one, can Nabi He would just stay with the Messenger Muhammad and benefit from him and seek knowledge. So this brother who's always out working, he came to Rasulullah complaining that, you know, he's not helping out and, you know, he's leaving everything to me and all of his food and his drink and everything I'm providing for it when he's just here sitting with you seeking knowledge all the time. So the Prophet said to him, <laughs> That it may be perhaps most likely <laughs> your risk is because of him. Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases you in risk and barakah because of this person who is actually seeking knowledge. So the scholars they mentioned that uh, seeking knowledge or kafalat talib al ilm, sponsoring a student of knowledge, then it's one of the asbab and reasons for barakah in your risk. So mm-hmm. it's 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 a very inspiring story. So yeah. we know the hadith obviously And now we have a Real life story I mean This is I mean yeah, I know yeah, people I know obviously All of us We wouldn't have been here today Akhi, And benefiting the people It wasn't for the support That we get from our families And from mm-hmm. uh, A lot of the uh, Generous brothers and sisters Out there so, yeah. um, But this is different level Akhi. This 20 years, Akhi. 20 years. Everything Subhanallah. Yani, Like don't worry Everything Like I'll pay Not I'll contribute 20, 30 pa- la, la. You don't worry I've got your bills Subhanallah <laughs> Subhanallah Allah, Allah yeah. have mercy on us. One Allah of the reasons I wanted to mention this is that please, brothers and sisters, make dua for uh, this Muhandis Muhammad Abdul Salam. I hope I got his name right. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. May Allah uh, enter him into Jannat al Naim. May Allah Ta'ala give the Shaykh Sabr as well. Mm. One of the brothers who's studying with him, he told me that the Shaykh was very sad, obviously. But even at the, the Janazah, Shaykh was saying nothing but, 
in the eye that you know the 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 eyes shed tears but you don't say anything but that which pleases our lord and he done like a two minute reminder i think at that which degree. city is he in um i think cairo okay Fire, yeah, yeah. subhanallah and he mentioned as well the brother was sending this to me he said <coughs> to me that the sheikh himself has students now who are now teaching such as sheikh walid al-baghdadi mm. and others than them mm. so just imagine he said just imagine this person who has funded sponsored the sheikh's durus if you like mm-hmm. now the sheikh himself has students who are teaching and this brother he's studying with sheikh walid yes and then this same brother maybe tomorrow inshallah he will himself go to university or go and teach others Allah and all of the akhir mm. is muhandis mm. he has a share in it Allah even though he himself wasn't a scholar Allah Akbar. that's beautiful, that's beautiful. inspiring yeah. subhanallah um Going on, you you want to talk about some of the you want a clarification from last week's podcast or weeks before? Yeah. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. So last week's podcast, I think according to some of the comments, uh, some of them may be deleted, but um, one comment. Let's be let's be clear. Okay. <laughs> one one comment. They 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 deleted like maybe like within a minute of posting. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose maybe that comment was probably posted because I suppose the viewer didn't finish. The whole video. That's yeah. that's what we assume. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Right, because some of the things mentioned in the comments we had already talked about. But just generally speaking, we talked about feminism and this, this, and this. Uh, but the sisters should know. And I know I kind of like, and I know we disagreed on this, but mm. I kind of like see kind of like where the sister was coming from with that mm-hmm. comment, which is that, okay, you've talked about feminism, and we have. We talked about the reasons what leads to feminism and all of this, th- all of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, why don't you talk about, you know, the rights of a woman? Or, and I think from a perspective of we have obviously talked about the fact that a woman has rights and that the fact that some people being oppressive to her could actually lead her mm. to go and seek her rights elsewhere. Mm. But my point is that. Okay, maybe she feels like, or maybe some sisters feel like, you know, talk about the rights of the women so that we can take that as a hujja, a proof, you know, against maybe some of our male family members yeah. or some of the people that, that are not giving us our rights. We can say to them, hey, look, these are rights and, you know, these are the proofs and, you know, here you have two students of knowledge talking yeah, what, about Yeah, what I this. got from her comment, I mean, because she, she started off like that, talking about, you know, why don't you also talk about like you talked about the rights, she she even like she herself mentioned it, talking about feminism. You also talked about some of the rights for a little bit, but the, she was saying the problem is that people weren't following it or something like that. Remember, she said mm. this in the inner comment, yeah. and that's not really something. I mean, how can we address that? You know, like we could tell the brothers, you know, for Allah with Allah regarding your women, of course, which we also talked about. You know, brothers, like two weeks before, we talked about looking for certain spouses and what brothers need to do in order to be good good husbands and fathers, etc. But, I mean, after that... Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's one of those things, Akhi. It's just difficult to get the balance right, isn't it? It's like, okay... Because, I mean, it's, it's going to be back and forth all but the time. But, you know, honestly, I thought... I think it was balanced. I even, no, it, I even like, after that comment, I, I literally went out and I was like, okay, sent this this particular part to some female family members, you know, uh, to see what they say. They're like, it's good. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, I think... I agree it was balanced. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think through the lens of maybe a sister who has been oppressed or is being oppressed, mm-hmm. she might feel like it's not enough. 
and that has more to do with her particular yeah. situation <clears throat> than how we have uh, addressed the matter. Yeah, when we're addressing the matter, it's important for the viewers and the listeners to understand that we're talking about it in a general, very general sense, and we can't really talk about everyone's particular issue. No. You get what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. if we feel like if you feel like we haven't talked on your issue particularly, then we it's can't do that. We can't do that. <laughs> And we don't know you. We're talking about yes. a general outlook on what feminism was and the, the ways that it leads to feminism. And I mean, we we should have probably brought like maybe more books and more things for people to go back to. I admit that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which today I brought some books that you know can lead to sisters to go and read. Um, however, yeah, I mean, that's how. No, that's it good. Is. That's that's all. That's the whole. That's I mean, that's the benefit mm. of that comment. I mean, absolutely. We <clears> say, you know. This is a constructive comment, Barakallahuik. Even if the sister hadn't deleted it, it would have stayed up for everybody to see, mm-hmm. even though it was uh, critical. But that's constructive criticism. We welcome that, right? Mm-hmm. We welcome that. Even if we disagree with it, right? We welcome that. But Alhamdulillah, from the benefits is that it led us to, you know, right now, inshallah ta'ala, you it was somewhat sharing. Cri- it was somewhat critical. <laughs> Which, whichever I, way it is, I mean. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was more. <laughs> Whichever we're we're going to keep disagreeing it's on that. It's got yeah. khair in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got khair in it. Now you're going to yeah. share, inshallah ta'ala. We're going to share it all together. And well, the, gonna, good, the good about the, it is that we're talking about it right now. Exactly. So That's obviously well. we still, and which shows that we are worried about, you know, these topics. And we are, we do want to make sure we bring balance to the no. conversation, uh, to these nuanced conversations as well. However, it's yeah, difficult I mean, to it's, fulfill everybody's needs. On I that mean, topic, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. La best khair, inshallah. The most important thing is, this is the most important thing, which is that this podcast is its purpose is yes mm. to touch on some of these things and give pointers. Mm-hmm. This is not a reference point. Of course, uh, you come to the podcast and you'll find the answers to all of your questions. And we said that from day one. No. Like it's a podcast to benefit and deal with relative affairs and talk about it in a general sense. No. And yes, there is some learning aspects to it we no. want we want it to be like that like that way no. or mention ayat and ahadith because it's an islamic podcast no. however this by no means shape or form suffices you of the lessons of the scholars no. and seeking and ben- knowledge and seeing knowledge going through the actual benefiting. books this is something that is yeah it can help you no problem but it's not and maybe even encourage you for the most part no. but not nothing to be like used as a marja a source yeah so we can't we can't cover all angles knowledge. i mean we'll yeah. be honest there's yeah. no way that we're going to take a topic and cover all of its angles yes in a podcast. So if you do feel like there's some kind of knocks, there's some kind of deficiency, there's something we could have touched on, Barakallahu share it inshallah ta'ala. Mm, so. But even more important than that, the references that we give you or the books that we recommend, go back to those books and inshallah you'll find your answer within those books. Regarding the books, there is a few. I, I listed six and there's more. So because we talked about feminism two weeks ago, I did want I, I wanted to connect those sisters to books they can go back and read to in English. Yeah. So I mean, there's books in Arabic as well. They will also put in the description, but from the books in English, because this is an English podcast, obviously. Then I wanted to connect them to some books. The first one is the Fatawa for the the Muslim Women. This is for a uh, translated work from Ibn Taymiyyah, Rahimahullah Taala. So this deals with different Fatawa, and I think it is pretty big as well. It might be like three volumes. And no. it deals with different things connected to the woman, her rulings, her rights, her status, etc. No. So that's one book that can go back and be read. Now that's a proper reference point. A okay. proper reference point. Yeah. Sheikh al-Islam that's 728 Hijri. No. And it's Sheikh al-Islam. He got this name for a reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's one, that's one book. And then you have uh, another book, uh, Supporting the Rights of the Believing Woman. This is from Um Salama al-Salafi. Uh, this is also 
uh, in Arabic and English. It's been translated. And it has a muqaddim of Shaykh Muqbir, rahimahullah ta'ala. Then you have the status of the woman in Islam from Shaykh Saleh Fazan, which we mentioned a few weeks ago. This book is a bit small, but it just yeah, it make, mentions her status, her level, and her mechanic. and shows that she is, uh, she's respected. And she's no. held to a great, a great level. No. Then you have uh, my advice to the to the woman, and this is from uh, Sheikha. Uh, she, this is a, a a lady scholar who is the daughter of Sheikh Muhammad Rahim Taala, Um Abdullah Al Wadi'i, Hafizahullah Taala, Nasiyatil Nisa. This is translated, and it's also in English, uh, in Arabic, and that's a big book. This is probably like nearly five hundred pages. Yeah, that book is. You'll find every bookstore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even I think somebody, a brother's teaching right now. Maybe. Uh, Samir Al-Kuhumi I think he might be yeah. teaching from it sure. Then you have another book uh, The Illustrious Women of Islam This was a beautiful book That's compiled And deals with the first generation Of the women And it goes from Seer Al-Anam Al-Nubala Of Al-Dhahabi And also takes from Al-Isaba From Ibn Hajar Dealing with the companions So it com- the brother compiled it To show the proper role models a woman should have not these entertainers or these people on youtube these women who you know are doing all type of crazy things these days instagram etc but no these are the first women who we should connect ourselves to the women should connect themselves to in order to follow so that's beautiful as well um then the last book that i came across was the piece of advice uh and a uh, and a reminder for the for the women and that's from no. And there's also books from Sheikh Rabia, Sheikh Ahmed Najmi, Sheikh Uthaymi. There's tons of books no. on no. this topic right here. That, no. But them six right there are nice reference points to go back to, to start no. reading like right now. No. That way you can see, you know, uh, compare what we said about feminism and the harms of it to these books. No. And now you can see. Now you'll see what Islam Encourages. has to offer mm. for a woman as a religion. And then look at feminism as a, as a religion as well. Sahih. It is a religion, you know. Sahih. What it's got to offer. I mean, religion in the sense that it's a made-up, man-made religion, obviously. not. So, and see what they've got to offer. And then compare the two, you'll see that Islam is superior. Bila not shek. a shadow of a doubt. Bila shek. Nah. Bila shek. And with that, I wanted to go into the next topic, dis- discussing the status of the woman in Islam. Nah. Um, and this is just to show that, Yani, Islam, it's a refutation to those people who think that Islam, Yani, dishonors women or nah. holds them to a low status when actually it's the complete opposite no. it's the complete opposite and islam holds women to a higher level and even yani, during the time when the sh- when the legislation was coming down to the prophet وسلم, this was a time where they didn't have women didn't have rights whatsoever talk about women rights not in the that, arab that. lines not in the western line nowhere when the man would have a daughter allah ta'ala says in the quran he just his, his his face would turn black. Yeah. Like out of out of shock. Yes. And he would be, uh, he would be uh, what's it called, um, like in a state of complete, yani utter stress and you name it. Yeah, it was it was it was something they they de- they definitely seen it to be like dishonoring to yeah, have a like daughter. How, and how did I it was disaster? How exactly. Did I have a daughter? And Sheikh Abdul Razak actually was talking about this on Friday. He was discussing this topic in his explanation of uh, Riyal Salihin. He was going through talking about how they used to be, like these people of Jahiliyyah with, with the women, or with the daughters. When they would get a daughter, at times, they would have the mother having birth right here. Right beside her, there was already a whole dug. Mm. Why? Just because, in case. Just in case. Yeah. If it come out a daughter, automatically they'll put her right into the hole. Look at I, this. Like Allah says, the same ayah Allah mentions... 
يتوارى من القوم من سوء ما بشر به يمسكه على هون ام يدسه في التراب سبحان الله he said he would, he start hiding from people because of the evil that he has been um, given tidings of in, in their eyes obviously like oh what a bad tidings horrible thing news to be given ayumsikuhu ala hun does he hold on to her and, and keep his daughter upon you know the disgrace that comes with it within their society am yudusu fi turab or does he bury her in in the dirt subhanallah subhanallah so that, that that's when islam came yeah exactly <laughs> and, and, and and so that was one way they would do it right another yeah. way um and also i just don't even want to even mention but it has to be known this is how you know, the situation used to be during this time another way what they would let the daughter grow up one two three maybe four years she could exit maybe four years tell the mother dress her up dress her up go out put her in a hole just like this okay this is Allah musta'an. this is this was the time in which Islam wasn't revealed and this is what people used to do yeah I mean and it's well known look in any historical books you'll see I mean women were looked at as second-class citizens Even up until this day akhi, yeah. there are certain societies where if a woman's husband dies She's burned to death. Like some place in India, they do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your husband dies, you die too. They kill her. I mean, it was up until the 19th century. Yeah. That in England, the women were considered uh, goods, yeah. property. You could sell. Well, I just look at I that. mean, in, in, some, that. in some way, they still treat them like property, even though they don't say it. Oh, they do. But they do, of course. <laughs> it's clear. You know, it's clear. But that just shows you what background, why they do that, you know? Subhanallah. So anyway, uh, so I wanted to go through a few things. I got like five things showing exactly how Islam and he holds the women to a high status in all these different levels and just to have any something even the listener or viewer I'm sure everyone knows these things but something you can even use to combat this type of argument against Islam so the first one is that uh, Islam starts off by honoring the mothers right the pro- in the hadith of the Prophet when he was asked uh, by the companion and who is the most yani, rightful person that I should take as uh, a companion, right? Or take as a close friend. And he said, Ummuk, yani, your mother. And he repeated this three, ta- three times. So that's one way of, of looking at it. Uh, the, the mother was mentioned here three times before the father was mentioned in that, in that particular no. uh, narration. Another thing, the, Islam honors the, the parents generally speaking as well. So, as a mother of being suhba, having a suhba, but also if we were looking to the Quran, insana ihsana, and we have encouraged, or we, uh, we've enjoined upon the man to have goodness to his parents, and honoring that mother who what carried her, carried him in the stomach. Hardship upon hardship, as Allah Taala says in the yeah. Quran. Yeah. Uh, also, you have the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu that's found in Ibn Majah that was narrated by uh, Muawiyah al-Sulami. Uh, عنه, where he talked about how he wanted to go out for jihad and the Prophet asked him is your mother alive he said naam and he said wayhak woe to you woe to you stick to your mother and he kept doing this three times he kept saying this like you know tayyib uh, I want to still want to go you know he said wayhak stick to your mother to the, to the last at uh, the end of the hadith it's a long hadith he said ilzim rijlaha yani stick close to her her feet because in in that yani, yani meaning being there for her deeds needs etc is jannah 
Allahu Akbar. So look at the. I mean that. I, I mean, I, I question now to all of the sisters <laughs> out there that might be affected by feminism, right? Mm. Inshallah, you are going to be a mother one day. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have. Children. Or might already be mothers. So. You might, might already be mothers. So. Yes. And you're gonna have kids, inshallah, and they're gonna grow old, and you're gonna grow old. Yes. Now, according to Western society, right, where feminism emanates from, they'll throw you in old people's home, right? Quick. So, so what what solution does feminism bring you to that fate, or that fate that so many women go through in the West, whereby when they grow up, their children throw them in a in, a, in an old people's home? And, and How what what does feminism bring to your table to encourage your children, right, that when you grow up? That they wash your feet, let alone anything else, and they look after your needs, and they stay with you when you need them, and they don't mm. leave you to rot in a, in a pension home. Sorry. What what solution does feminism bring you? And I'm not sure if the viewers or listeners have ever been in these type of homes, but I worked there for many years. That's when I was doing nursing, four to five years straight, and it was like, it's not the place you would want your family member. No, it's no, like no. the dis- most disrespectful thing to do. Like, yes, there's different darajat, right? But at the end of the day, you have a stranger, who has no fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looking after your parent there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of scandals that happened recently a lot of scandals that's, that's what came to surface Allah knows what's happening behind Man, there's a lot of things where you know? they would abuse these old people especially yeah, those with yeah, dementia yeah, yeah, and the yeah, ones yeah, yeah, of course especially the, yeah, the, like you said dementia I mean you had different uh, diseases where it may or even the medication like some of these uh, the, old, the older folk that be in these houses they be have on medication it may make them lash out and say something hmm. they don't they don't really mean it but they're like they're yeah. not in the right mind. Yeah. They might even start hallucinating, etc. And maybe because of the drugs that they give them just to keep them calm. That's know? what just I'm trying to say. It might yeah. be it might be because of that. Or the, the horrible food, etc. So what happens is they lash out on let's say a nursing aide or LPN or, or uh, RNA or RA. And then what happens is they go in prison. Whatever. They don't go no, no, I'm not saying they go to prison. I'm saying they, the, the the patient lashes out on the nurse. Yeah. And now the nurse is what? Feeling uh, like oh, I'm not gonna take care of them no more. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that room because you have to make rounds mm. on the floor yeah. like every few hours and every yeah yeah check on them and see if they need anything feed them etc yeah I'm gonna skip that room they gave me a hard time last time Subhanallah this is what happens and you would you want your parent in this place no 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 it's, do do you want to be in do that you place? even want to be in that place exactly, <laughs> you know if if you're gonna don't go down the road of feminism you know <laughs> you bring your daughters up on 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 this evil ideology. Believe me, this will be your fate. If you don't, if you do not stick to your Islam, mm. and you don't embody Islam, and you don't implement Islam in your life, and you don't uh, set up a Muslim household with these Muslim values. No, and this is your fate. Allah understand. Yeah, about a So that was the that was the uh, that was really the second and third thing because you also have this is in that same hadith. <laughs> <laughs> in that same hadith you have what the obligation for the son to take care of his mother and look after his mother right and spindle his mother then there's the fourth a fourth uh status of the woman or the fourth uh, anything you could take from this from the status of honoring the woman is that honoring the wives honoring the wives so the best of you are those who are Good to your families, and I am the Prophet says this, and I am the best to my family. So this is a high encouragement for us: what to be good to our wives, but also be the best in doing mm-hmm. so. And the Prophet mm-hmm. says he was the best. So this example, is also a living example, example of example. how to be good to. You. So this is even a good 
good uh, takeaway for the men as well to be the best to your family, to your mm-hmm. family, to mm-hmm. your wife, and take care of her in a good way. Spend on her, watch over her needs, etc. No. Um, so no. can we take a hadith like this and say now Islam encourages yani disrespecting the women or doesn't take care of the women? Clear, clear cut right there. Yani, let me put it. Let me let me get it right. In Islam, the best of men, right? Mm. Real men, mm-hmm. the best of men. What we look at is how they are to their families. No. According to this hadith, no. the best of you are those who are best to their families. No. Right? So, this is the status that Islam has given you. That the man himself, his goodness or his status or how good he is, mm. what's the measure? How good he treats you. Allah. And it's, subhanallah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely. definitely. A fifth thing that we could take away from the honoring of the, the women in Islam and the status of the women in Islam is even looking after our daughters where we have the hadith of the Prophet and we have numerous hadith about the one who has a daughter and looks after them and if they're child with anything from is from the hadith من min البنات بشيء كن له من النار they become what? A, a veil for that man or that parent even uh, it can go both ways not just the, the man or the father or the woman or the wife but also the uh, uh the parents, generally speaking, can be a veil from the fire. So this is interesting because there was a hadith uh, or a, there was a qissa. This is what I was going to mention to you. No. Sheikh Abdul Azaki mentioned in his last lesson uh, on uh, Yom Al-Juma. And people are, people are going to think Sheikh Abdul Azaki is in Riyadh, Akhi. We benefit from Sheikh Abdul. Wallahi, I've been benefiting from Sheikh Abdul Azaki when I was back in the UK. Yeah, so I've been I've been benefiting from his durus and his books mm-hmm. in the UK since I'm here in Riyadh. Mm. Probably the Sheikh that I've benefited from the most, even though I haven't lived in Medina. Tell us from the ni'mah, the barakas of, of this, you know, this technology. technology. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take advantage of it. So he was talking about, after he mentioned this same hadith in the other hadith about having two daughters or having one daughter or having three daughters. Um, and the blessings of that and how they protect you from the hellfire, etc. He mentions this qissa. And he says, this mentioning stories, generally speaking, it's not a proof, you know, people having stories or, you know, uh, dreams or anything like that. But he's like, we already established that this is already something established in the sunnah, Quran and sunnah. So, so no, something established just kind of like... Um, it goes along with it. A practical... A, yeah, a practical example. Like of, we mentioned, Sheikh Adel Sayyid. Exactly. You know, the hadith mentioned it, but now we have a practical, exactly. real-life example. 100%. So it's not a proof in itself. Let's no. make sure that's clear. Because some yeah. people get confused and yeah <laughs> yeah because they hear like narrations talking about warning against storytellers yeah yeah those are the storytellers who use stories as proofs exactly so their whole uh, lectures story to story to story mm-hmm. without first mentioning the hadith or the ayah to establish that this is actually something legislated 100%. and then using the story to back it up but if yeah. you have people that they use stories as a proof so mm-hmm. he says to you for example you should do x y and z and the proof for that is you know this story and that happened and when you say to me, what's your proof? Where's the ayah? Where's the hadith? La, akhi, this is tajribah. Shay mujarrab. It has been, it has been experienced. It has been uh, proven by, you know, by people having experienced this. So mm. I know a brother who did this, this, and this, and then that, and that happened. So I've seen it myself, and this is a trustworthy source, so now you need to do that. That's, like, that's not a proof. No. Now, so Shaykh Abdul Razak, he was mentioning, after he mentioned this hadith in his uh, explanation of Virat Salihim, and it was a hadith of Aisha, radiallahu anha. Should I read the hadith first? Yeah. Type. So it was a hadith of Aisha, radiallahu anha, where she said, دخلت امرأتون معها ابنتان لها تسأل. Yani she entered upon them, uh, upon her, and she had two daughters with her. And she was asking, she was in need. 
She was in need, so Aisha radiallahu law anha. She says, I didn't have anything to give her except for a date. So what? I gave it to her. I gave three, her this three date. Three dates, huh? In this narration, she had one date. Hmm. So in this narration, she had one date. Said, I gave it to her. When she got the date, she broke it up and gave it half to one daughter, half to another. And they both ate from it. No. And then she stood up and she left. No. Once the Prophet came back, he informed she informed him about what happened. And this is when the Prophet mentions the narration I just met before, mentioned before where he says, Whoever he was involved in the responsibility of bringing up these daughters in any way, shape, or form, then he is uh, or they will they be. will be, I'm sorry, a protection for him on the against the hellfire. No, him or her. Yani. And Sheikh Abdul Razak, he mentions about this. Yani, Shayan here means in any way, shape, or form, no. helping it to protect the daughters, protecting the young girls. And this is, be Shayan, yani, anybody. So even Aisha shared a reward here by giving the date. So then he mentions the story. This is what I want to get to. This is the Shahid. So the story he mentions, he said there was a man. He passed away recently. Rahimahullah. But it was a story that he was telling he knew uh, the person who told him about it. He used to. Uh, he had five daughters, five daughters, and he was with his wife, and she was expecting. And then what happened? She had another daughter. Six so now six six daughter now. And she was four, then it was five, then it was six, etc. Going on and on like this. And he starts getting upset. He gets upset. He's like talking to his wife, you know, in a, in a bad way, saying, you know, oh, you give me his, his daughters. There's something wrong with you. You know, if you give me another daughter, I'm gonna divorce you. He says this to her. So then he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. He has a dream. In the dream, it's Yom Qiyamah, the day of resurrection. And he's being pushed forward. And he slips and he's about to go into the hellfire. He goes to the first door of the hellfire. One of the daughters grabs him out. Then he goes, falls over to the second door. Another daughter grabs him out. Then he goes to the next door, all the way up to the fifth door. Another daughter protects, hand goes out. You know the, the Abu Abu Jahannam? Seven, Seven, right? So he goes to the seventh do- door. Remember? Up to the sixth door, and then he goes to the seventh. Now, yes, now. and the same thing happened the entire time, which yeah. is that his daughter's pulling him out, now. protecting him from the hellfire. So he has six daughters so far? Yes. Now, and, seventh daughter. And she, he's, he's, she's pregnant with, who knows? He doesn't know yet. But remember, he told her, right? Yeah, right? I'm going to divorce you. Another, I'm going to divorce you. You have another daughter? I'm I'm done. There's one more door. So there's one more door now. So he's going he's going to that door. He wakes up. He's freaked out. <laughs> he's he's spooked out. He's he's freaked out because he's about to go into the hellfire. He didn't have that daughter to save him. Yeah. So obviously he woke up and his rhetoric changed now. Yeah. He realized the importance of having daughters. I hope you have a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so that. subhanallah. And but, it's just, but like we said, it's established already. Yeah, of course. Like it's established. Yeah. So But this is subhanallah, it's uh it's amazing. I mean, think about that. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Your daughter is being a protection for you. And this is the hadith of the Prophet being a protection for the hellfire. You going into the hellfire. So it's important to honor the, the, the daughters and look after the daughters. And it shows you the serious makan, the level of the daughters in Islam and how we should look after them. This isn't something we should be upset with having daughters. This is no. what we look down on. This is something we should embrace. No. You don't want this protection from the hellfire? Come on. I remember Sheikh uh, Salah al Usaim he tweeted not too long ago saying that uh, a daughter has a daughter is a Jannah and a Junnah. 
protection from the hellfire. That's what Jannah means. Okay? And she's also a Jannah, a paradise in this world. And because of, you know, her daughters generally speaking, anybody who has daughters will know. Daughters and and boys they're not the same, yani. especially at the, the younger ages, they're like, they've got more rahma or more mercy or whatever. No. You know? Nah. So it's just beautiful, akhi. Allah Akbar. So, so the point is... You want some more coffee? Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, so the point is, you have... Um, yeah, thank you, pass that. You have... Yeah, go ahead. So the point is, you have uh, any 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 sister that is listening to this, right? Reality is you are either someone's mother or you're someone's wife or you're someone's daughter. So you're covered from so all three sides. Allah <laughs> you know? Allah you know, if you're a mother, you have these ahadith. Your wife, khairukum khairukum li ahli. And what do and what do these kufar, what are these disbelievers who want to go and attack Islam? What do they have about anything like this for women? Nothing. Like I say, up until the nineteenth century, women were considered property. They were selling and buying. You were able to sell your wife. Sell your wife like cattle. You were able to sell her. It was getting rights. There was no rights. What are you talking about? They didn't even... There was actually a council amongst the, uh, amongst the, the Christians, also 19th century. They were debating amongst themselves if a woman had a soul. Wow. Wait, it doesn't stop there, though. They were debating if a woman had a soul, and then what else? Okay, so some of them said, okay, she has a soul. They, they determined, okay. Yani, this Meskina, she has a soul. We'll, we'll give her that. Yeah. Then what happened? The next debate came up. What is the next debate? But is her soul a human soul or a dog soul? Wow. <laughs> you want to try to talk about Islam and rights? Are you kidding me? And this, want, is, this is after Islam, eh? We're, we're told, this is not like... This is after This is 19th century. This is yani, 200 years ago. 150 years ago. This is, this is... That's Qareeb, Yani. That's close. That's not that long ago. If, if anything, the West, they've just... They've mastered the art of deception if anything because even now it's not like we're going to say now things are way way different no things are not way different still a woman is is used they use women or a woman a model to sell chocolate that's true yeah billboards commercials you name it again this was like kind of like a completion of the last podcast which we talked about feminism but we also we we actually intended to talk about the status of the woman and talk about even some rights, which we'll hopefully talk about on a later podcast as well, uh, in more detail with rights and things like that. Um, but this is actually something that I wanted to connect it to last week, but we kind of like forgot. We ran out of time. The podcast was three hours long. Yeah, yeah. It was. So this is like something can complete it. I'll give the sisters not only these books to start off with, but also knowing the status and looking also at how the kufar and the disbelievers. If you don't know already, which I'm sure everyone listening to this in the West, they see it. How they how they look at their own women and how they deal with their own women. So Islam also raises the women to a high level. And it's not something that would be looked down upon. Moving on to the next topic. Um, you had a question somebody sent you about managing sleep. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that about for like studies or something? Or I mean, just generally speaking, I think a lot of people who want to seek knowledge, right? Hmm. They're stuck for time. We all are. Yeah. Aren't we? Everybody yeah. would love to have more time. So imagine you could buy time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, everybody wants to have a... Thirty-six hour day, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously they look at. I mean, we all went through this. Yes, you look at your schedule. You got school. You've got this. You got knowledge. And then when you see that you're running out of time, obviously you look at 
that thing that takes up most of your day, which is sleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you ask yourself, hey, what can I do about this? Yeah. You know, I can sleep eight hours a day. Yeah. If I sleep six hours a day, that's two hours a day. Actually, those are two durus. Another two durus so, I can take. So, so, hey. Another page, two pages yeah, I can memorize. Yeah. So um, a lot of people that want to seek knowledge, this comes up. Mm. How do I manage my sleep so that I can worship more and I can seek more knowledge? So one uh, brother uh, that's close to me asked me this question. Now, obviously, there's so much to be said about that. Mm. Uh, but when it comes to sleep, really, it's not about how much you sleep, really. It's not about the how. Mm. how much. It's not about the quantity. It's more about the quality of sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have what they call good sleep hygiene, mm-hmm. then a five-hour sleep will be more, will be equivalent to eight-hour sleep, mm. right? So there's a lot to that, obviously. Um, but just a few pointers or a few pieces of advice when it comes to that. Uh, obviously, is obviously sleep in the night. The night sleep is so much more valuable than sleeping 100%. during the day. So don't stay up all night and try to make up for that mm. during the morning. There's no such thing called, even if you're a night owl, yes, mm. still you have to get some night sleep. Like Allah Ta'ala said, that we made the night a uh, cover. No, I mean, even the Prophet he would sleep right after Isha, no. he would go to sleep, get some rest no. at night. So nice. staying up all night, I and mean, this is something which is not 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 good at all. No, no. So that's one thing. Um, another thing as well is, of course, do your adhkar before going to sleep. That that makes a major difference. And mm-hmm. there is a hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned. I mean, the hadith, the the the, the dua or the adhkar before going to sleep that you should do is saying Subhanallah thirty three times, Alhamdulillah thirty three times, and Allah Akbar thirty four times. Just like in the hadith where Fatima radiAllahu anha. Came to the Prophet Muhammad complaining about. She said to me, "I want a." She said to the Prophet "Yani, I want a a khadima. Yeah. I need I need a housemaid. I need someone to help me. There's too much work. Yeah. I can't keep up." So the <laughs> Prophet Muhammad said to her, "Shall I not tell you something that is better for you than a khadima?" Yeah. Okay, and so he mentioned that before you go to sleep, say Subhanallah three three times. Alhamdulillah, 33 times. Now, Allah Akbar, 34 times. It's better for you than a khadima. Now, how do we understand this hadith? Actually, Abdul Zaq al-Badr, he mentioned, he explains this. Does it mean when the Prophet Muhammad was saying to her, shall I tell you what's better, i.e. what's better in terms of reward only? As in, you'll get more reward? No, of course not. There's no doubt that that dhikr is more reward than having a khadima. Yeah. Fatima came with a specific problem. Exactly. Prophet must have given her a solution that will Help her with the problem. Mm-hmm. Her problem being not having enough energy, yes, to do all of the work. Sahih. Right? So the Prophet told her to make this dhikr, which means that if you do this dhikr before you go to sleep, you'll have much more energy to do the things that you need to do, inshallah, mm-hmm. and you'll be much more productive during your day. No. That's why Ali radiallahu anhu, he never left this dua, you know, mm-hmm. even in Litsafin. So Allah that's one thing. Um, and when you wake up, as well, the Prophet Muhammad mentioned in another hadith. That if you wake up, when you wake up, Shaitan he puts three knots on the head of Bani Adam. He puts no. three knots. Mm. Okay? And he blows into him and says to him, He just wants you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Have a long night, he says. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you wake up, if you remember Allah, one of these knots is, you know, <coughs> taken away. No. And then if you make wudu, the second one goes. You pray two rak'as, the third one goes. No. Then the Prophet Muhammad mentions that if you do this, you'll wake up with nashat, you'll wake up full of energy Allah for that Allah. day, you know, mm. with a, with a, with a good, you know, uh, if you like, uh, 
outlook or a good uh, but if you don't do this Prophet said you'll wake up khabith al-nafsi kaslan you'll be someone who has khabith al-nafsi how can I translate that maybe yeah. like a a bad yeah, attitude. attitude like yeah, this yeah. yeah basically you'll wake up lazy yes yeah. and lethargic like a I, negative disgusting attitude towards you know the, yeah, the morning yeah you're pessimistic I would yeah, say like you'll this. be very pessimistic and you'll yeah. just be complaining all day right mm-hmm. That's if you wake up with those three knots on your head, you know, alarm start, you know. So, so, so that's that's another uh, from that angle, obviously. And there's more, yeah, du'a and dhikr, but definitely you have to look into that. So, them three things you would say: sleep at night, du'a before dhikr before going to sleep, before and dhikr when you're getting up, and also and making wudu and then praying to rakats and as a hadith. All those things, all and obviously the whole the list is long. Obviously, yeah. nutrition has a major effect. Yeah, you know yeah, what you eat. Yeah. Especially do not eat before going to sleep. Definitely. Because if you eat within two hours of going to sleep, then your body, instead of using that time while you're asleep in rejuvenating you and making sure that it cleans up all of the uh, toxins in your brain, that's what sleep basically does, it's going to be busy digesting the food you just ate. Yeah. And, you're gonna and it's not up. even going to do a good job at that. It's not even going to do a good job yeah. at that. So definitely do not eat before going to sleep. That's a fact. Yeah. If you eat before going to sleep, you're not going to wake up. I would add to that... Um, like the from the benefits or from the ways to manage sleep is also like sleep with a purpose. Like, for example, go to sleep. For example, if you need a nap, go like you know you have to do work in the evening, right? You know you have to do your ethikad or you have to do a memorization of Quran or something like that. Something from your talab, maraja, whatever the case may be. Say, okay, I'm gonna sleep 30 minutes, strong power nap, right, throughout the day, so I can go and do this even more. So now you're gonna sleep with a good intention. You're getting reward. So you're also getting reward. Sheikh Uthameen, he explains this as well. You can turn your ibadat into ibadat. You can turn your normal day, day-to-days into acts of worship with the correct intention. Yeah, subhanAllah. So this That's right here important. is also to keep in mind. I'll keep in mind is like, okay, if I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep for this reason. No. If you're going to sleep at night, like the Prophet of he'll go to sleep right after Aisha, early, right? In order to do what? He was getting up at night. He wasn't sleeping the entire night, but he'll get up and pray. Showing that mm-hmm. he had an intention to get some energy to go and do some more ibadah. Yeah. So keep this also in mind as well because when you wake up, usually if you wake up and you don't have your day day planned, right? Or you're not having, you don't know what your day-to-day is going to be, what you want to do next. You wake up almost like, why am I waking up? Yeah. Let me get some yeah. rest. Yeah, true. But if your schedule's tight and yeah. you're in line with what you need to do, okay, I'm getting up, so I need to do my some Quran at night. I need to do some praying at night. Mumtaz, you got an intention. You know if you don't do it then, you probably won't do it the entire day because you're busy all day no. with work. No. Now you're going to wake up more with, okay, you have to get up. Go make wudu, do your thing, and then you feel better. So, again, you turn that sleep right there into a, a form of active ibadah if you have the correct intention no. to no. make you stronger in your health, stronger no. and you're actually better to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No. So, yeah, nutrition, not eating for sleep and eating good, generally speaking, mm. you know, healthy food. Fitness, obviously. No. You know, if you if you go to the gym that day, you're gonna sleep like a baby. Marshall, full, <laughs> full of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The following day, um, and there's so much more to be said. Obviously, so much, so much more to be said. But mm. I'm gonna give you a hack that really helped me a lot, and I shared that I remember with the, with some of the brothers, mm-hmm. and they were like, it's life changing. Which is first, definitely nap, nap during the day. Mm-hmm. Very beneficial. What's that? Okay, napping, napping. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Prophet said, have naps for at least the shayateen, they don't nap yeah, during so. the day. <laughs> okay? So, make sure that you have a nap during the day. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know how you're going to do that. If, even, even, even in Western culture now, in like big companies, 
corporations, they realize the importance of this, Akhi. Napping during the day. Sahih. That's why uh, places like Google and Apple and these big companies, they have like... Nap rooms. Nap rooms. Rest yeah. rooms, yeah. yeah. Quiet rooms as well. Where you can go and sleep yeah, for, a yeah, minute, yeah, for, for yeah. an hour. Yeah. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Anyway, nap during the they day. They even now have like meditation rooms as too. Yeah. And you know, meditation, I mean, for a Muslim, you don't need salah. You need salah. <laughs> salah. Salah. So that time in the day, subhanallah, where Dhuhr, for example, you're working all day, and you got that time Dhuhr came in. This is where the Prophet used to say to Bilal, Arihna ya Bilal. For the, for the prayer, it was, yani, bring ease to us, bring this, yani, this comfort, like, meaning, call the iqama, call the no. adhan, no. for us to go in. Now, this is our meditation. So to say, and this is us getting back to Allah Taala, our ibadah. Yeah. So Subhanallah, that's that's, that's interesting. That they they're now they're going to this like this whole meditation thing. It's like Muslims. Yani. We've been doing this. <laughs> Akhir, for, please remind me next podcast. Yeah. We have to talk about this, mm. which is that Subhanallah, a lot of our brothers and sisters. Allah is mind blowing. A lot of our brothers and sisters are watching YouTube channels. Mm. Yes, about yoga and meditation and these sort of stuff, right? Certain channels that are kind of like um, self-help channels, mm. but you'll find that the channel itself is run by either Buddhists oh, or whatever, and and they kind of like add their religion mm. into that which they of are course. encouraging. And of then course. people watch this, and they're like, "Oh, look what!" Effort. So how how do you <laughs> watch this? So much evil and dalal, and even sometimes kufr. Yeah, they're spreading of course through these self-help videos and this kind. We have to talk about I that. I mean, even the basis of yoga. I mean, I, I we, have to, we have to this. talk about that next week. Even, uh, there's also something like Tai Chi as well. Actually, there was a nice lecture. You know what Tai Chi is? No. It like deals like with energy, like passing of energy. and like mm. It's like a type of martial art, they say. Yeah. Um, but Sheikh uh, Saleh Sindhi was literally just talking about this. It was Fesafa Tataka. Yeah, and it was like the the philosophy of like energy or something like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. He done a lecture on he it. He done a lecture on it. And now, even I remember, I was looking. I was like, "What is this title? Like, I never heard of this before." Once he starts explaining it, I thought electricity or something. Or I, I, I didn't like, know what it was. Right. So once he starts explaining it, you're like, "Wow!" You see this in a lot of things. Yoga is one of them. Yeah. Uh, tai Chi is one of them. Um, these different like things talking, saying things like you know, uh bad energy you're giving bad energy yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. this is all connected to these same mm. type of philosophy yeah. which is goes back to atheism yeah so yani again like atheism you said we talk, buddhism whichever like you said we didn't talk about yani this uh to, another podcast but yeah. i mean it's very interesting and people gotta be very careful like look at these these aspects don't just think it's just some type of you know uh oh let me just try this look at the origins look at you know, any something any is it something that you should do yeah you know subhanallah uh, so yeah, so that's I think we finished that, that answer right on sleep. Man's yeah, and sleep? I mean, like I said, no, the yeah. the hack. Sorry, uh, the, hack the hack was yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you nap during the day. Yeah, but you should have what we call a coffee nap. Hmm. Now, what's a coffee nap? Basically, uh, when you feel sleepy, it's basically because there's this kind of molecule. Mm. Yes, that kind of like uh, it's got certain receptors in your brain. Mm. So your body sends out this molecule to say, hey. You know, you need to go to sleep and then you start feeling drowsy and sleepy, right? Mm. The way caffeine works is that it blocks these... Melatonin, right? Melatonin. No, no, not melatonin. No, no. Oh. No, it's something else. Um, it's adenosine. I'm not, I can't remember what it's called. Okay. Okay. But it's these receptors yeah. in your brain, right? And, and, and what caffeine does is it blocks these receptors. Mm. So that, that thing that your body is sending out, it, it can't... You know, it doesn't find a place. Yeah, yeah. Class, yeah. Place it doesn't pay attention by, to it. It's it taken by the caffeine, mm. right? So the coffee nap basically says that when you sleep, 
when you sleep, yes, yeah. then obviously your body kind of like resets itself. Tells you drink coffee before napping, mm. like just before going to nap. Why? Because what's going to happen is that as you nap, right, the caffeine is going to go to work, yes, and and by the time you wake up, you know, those places or whatever those receptors, you know, completely gone. Yeah, the, the caffeine will have t- uh, had its effect. What about, so, what about the problem though if someone takes cough caffeine and they can't nap? Yeah. No, that's that's what you need to have it just before going to sleep, just, just before like, napping, like literally right before. Yeah, no, drink and nap. Uh, for me, it worked. Uh, really? It's called coffee nap. You could research on it. It's called coffee nap. Interesting. And for me, it, re- it really works. Interesting. It's beautiful. Interesting. If it's just fifteen minute nap, power nap, mm-hmm. 10, 15, 30 minute, one hour, mm-hmm. it, it does wonders, mashallah. Wow. And anyway, the, uh, the the list is long, but I would advise people to read a book, which I haven't read. I listen to it. <laughs> no, no, I listen to it. Okay, I don't read these okay, kind of books. Okay. Yeah, I don't have time to read these kind yeah, of books. Yeah, but when yeah, I'm yeah. on the car, all these self-help books, yeah. I just uh, launch Audible, yeah. turn on my Audible, yeah. 1.75 speed, you there know? You and I just yeah, listen yeah. to it. That's the way. I'm, I'm, I think I'm 1.85 now, actually. Mm. My family <laughs> drives... With, when, I, when I take my family with me in the car and I turn on the audio book, they're like... How do you listen to this? Because yeah, like, come yeah, yeah. double the speed. The <laughs> like, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm like, no, you got used to it. I can, Sorry. I can understand everything they're Sorry. saying. So I read this. I listened to this book called um, "Sleep Smarter." I think it was called mm. "How to Sleep Smart." Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I think I, I think I went through this book as well. Very it sounds beneficial. very familiar. Yeah, how to sleep smart or sleep smarter. I think which so. mean pretty much talks about how to get the best out of your sleep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm. I would advise you to listen. To that book, <laughs> you can, or read that book. Yeah, and it's up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think uh, for me, self help and these sort of books they're very beneficial. But mm-hmm. I don't have time to sit down and read them. So yeah. just listen to them on my computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really depends on which book. Because like you said, there's some that self help books will have like what you mentioned about the yoga. Like they put their oh, religion yeah, in it. Yeah, they yeah, put yeah, their, yeah, yeah. They so you got to be very careful with some of these things. Yeah, and no, even even this book that I'm talking about, I'm not going to say to everything in it is correct. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course, that goes without saying. But we still have to make sure we let people know. Yeah, but there's some benefit in the book. Yeah. Yeah, because you'd be like, Ustav, somebody puts in the comment, Ustav, on chapter, he's <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean at the end of the day you know it's not a religious book it's not a religious book it's not a religious yeah. book uh, so it's dunya when yeah. it comes to dunya you know you have to do your own research you know Sahih. Sahih. Um, there was a question and we're going to finish with this one it was a question from uh, a sister she sent it and this is from my Patreon shout out to the Patreon community uh, sister she asked about discussing if we can discuss hijra and we actually mean and discuss this for weeks now um, did we say it should have its own episode? I'm sure it did. I think we, so we, did. we might have, yeah. I mean, we're not going to go into the details of it because the details is, like Sheikh Othimane said, it's hard to really talk about the de- details from country to country. It's actually impossible. It's impossible. You Each can't really... situation. Every country, every person does have their situation. You have to look into. So um, the sister, she says, uh, I think it would be very beneficial. She starts off with the salams. I think it would be very beneficial to hear a discussion on hijra. Some of the Muslims in the West realize its importance and are actively trying to pursue making hijra. Others who are capable of it have no concern of interest in making hijra because they are comfortable living in their little bubble around their Salafi masjid and or community. My question would be, should we strive to make hijra for those who are able or is it enough to have a, a Salafi community and remain in the West? I think people will be able to benefit from this topic. Inshallah, barakallah fikum. So we say to the sister, first off, Jazakallah khair. Appreciate uh, the Jazakallah question. Khair. 
we really appreciate these uh, questions being sent in. This helps us discuss the topic. I want to talk about it in three different portions, right? For so first off, we all know that the base rule is that hijra is established, and it's something that needs to be. Uh, it's something that's and it's going to be established till Yom Kiyama. And the base rule is that you make hijra from the disbelieving uh, countries to the Muslims, Muslim countries, no. fleeing for your religion, staying in the uh, amongst the Muslims. That's the base rule, generally speaking. Now, uh, and the situation could change depending on how much that person or the Muslims, generally speaking, are being oppressed or if they can't practice the religion openly in a safe way. As Allah Taala says in the Quran, "Inna al-ladina tawfahum al-malaikatu zalimi li-anfusihim, zalimi anfusihim." قالوا فيما كنتم قالوا كنا مستضعفين في الأرض قالوا ألم تكن أرض الله واسعة فتهاجروا فيها. Yani verily, as for those who the angels come to in death while they are wronging, wronging themselves, meaning staying amongst the disbelievers, even though immigration was obligatory upon them in this situation, the angels will say to them, "In what condition were you?" They reply, we were weak and oppressed in the, in the, on the earth. The angels would say, was not the earth of Allah spacious for you to be able to make yani, hijrah to different places? As in, there are wajibat obligations that they were meant to establish, such as the hijab, such as praying salah, such as... Uh, not shaving the beard, so just praying in Jama'ah, whatever. Any type of oppression, oppression that they were not able to uh, apply and act upon their religion properly. Right? Yeah. Yes. So the Valimi and Fuzim, because they were not able to establish the wajibat or stay away from the Muharramat. Mm. And then when they questioned, their excuse is what? We were, we were weak and we were, we were weak and oppressed, as in we were not allowed to do these things. No. Then the malaik will say to them, okay, so why didn't you leave? Wasn't it Allah uh, Ta'ala's earth spacious for you to be able to make immigration to different could places? Could you find a p- other place where you eh. could no, exactly. establish your So uh, then Allah says in the, in the ayah, فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَأْوَاهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ وَسَاءَتْ مَصِيرًا So the, such people, they will find their abode is the hellfire and an evil destination. Um. May Allah Ta'ala protect us all. So we see here clearly that yani, making hijrah in a situation uh, where you're oppressed or we're not able to practice your religion properly is obligatory upon you. This, again, goes and aids that base rule, m- moving amongst the Muslims. Now, the sister talks about those people who have the ability to move, but they have no concern or interest, right? Which brings us to, sorry, hmm. to complete the ayah, hmm. the ayah that comes after it. No. Allah mentions that, إِلَّا المستضعفين those who are exactly we're going to mention sorry no, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no if you're going to mention it, no, no, mention, yeah. it mention it <laughs> yeah that, there's an exception of no. those that are not able exactly and uh, nisa and even old men exactly if they're not able physically they're not able financially then that previous rule of hellfire being the final abode doesn't apply to them no no so uh going back to the question um the sister said, some of the Muslims in the West realize its importance and are actively trying to pursue it, making hijrah. Montez, beautiful. But the situation, again, it, it changes from different pe- people, to pre- uh, people to people or community to community based upon the situation. So, for example, let's say you're in a place where you're, sup- you're oppressed and you can't establish your salawat or you, know, you can't do certain things in which are obligatory upon you, then it's wajib upon you. Everyone should be pursuing it. But if you're in a situation where you're, you are actively able to establish your religion and practice your religion, um, 
then pursuing hijrah in this situation would be mustahab. It's recommended. You need to move to the Muslim lands. As the scholars highly say. recommended. It's highly recommended. No, <laughs> yeah. it's not right? Yeah. Um, and uh, something that can even aid that is the hadith of the Prophet sallam, where he says, يعني, I disown every Muslim who settles amongst the mushrikeen. Yeah, right. to live amongst them. So this is something that shows us that you know, it's something good to to die and live amongst the, the Muslims. So then, uh, so that's the answer to the first part, I believe. Others who are capable of it have no concern or interest in making hijrah because they are comfortable living in their Muslim communities. This, I mean, it's really hard to speak because I'm not sure where the sister's living, but it really depends. Like, look at, like, there's some places, for example, Hamtramck in America. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty much a Muslim town so to say even have a muslim mayor so uh no but even having said that i'll I'll be honest Mm. i'll be perfectly honest um living in any western country right Mm. regardless of how much freedom the government affords you in having your selfie community um i don't think anybody should be comfortable no be less even for yourself yeah fine yeah but that bubble or like the sister is pretty which kind of like yeah. they f- they feel like they're comfortable. They're, they're suffice. Feel like they're the bubble. I suppose what she means by that is they're they feel like they're protected. Yes, like that bubble protects them, mm. and you know the evil can't get to them. That's not the case for your kids, even if it's for you. Yeah. How about your I'm, children? How about what they teach them in 100%. school? hundred percent. And and what I was what I meant to say with, with that, I was trying to say is that yani it would change from being wujub, yani wujuban, yeah, yeah. obligatory versus mustahab. Yeah. Right. So I, we can't really say in any situation we're not going to say yani no they should stay there. You yeah. know, I mean yeah. it's either one of the two. Yani it's wajib. I'll say without or giving mustahab. any specific examples. Yeah. I we can't once you go down that road, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it yeah. gets slippy. Yeah. What I'm just trying to say is uh, again, it's much different from somebody who's living in a place where they're being oppressed and they can't perform certain wajibats versus a person who can. This is what the automatic differs. So no. um then the last part of our question says my uh, question would be should we strive to make hijra for those who are able? We are talked about that. We said it's mustahab. Yeah. Or it is enough to have a Salafi community. It's that listen, living in the West. You got to ask yourself, right now, how are you going to continue to live in the West, right, when you have to support the alphabet community in schools? That's yeah, my point. That's when my your point. kids are, you when can your, never when be kids, comfortable. When your kids are 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 being, yani force fed this type of things in their communities, in their public schools, in their books now, um, where you really can't do much about it to stop it either. So I mean. Then on top of that, all the fawahish that you see. Okay, let's say you do have a Salafi community. You do have a little area in which you guys are living. And let's say you guys have a block. Let's say you have two blocks. Let's say you have three blocks. Let's say you have a neighborhood. Okay? No problem. We'll give you a neighborhood. Or a town, like you said. A, a neighbor, yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's more like a town, really. I mean, yeah. it's like a small Even if you have a town. Let's say, let's say you do, yeah. right? Does that still protect you from seeing the things that you see and being forced to deal with the things you say? For example, the liquor stores. On almost every corner in some of our communities, um, the different n- nudeness that women have on billboards or just walking around or wherever you go, um, the different ideologies—the biggest thing, really, the biggest thing—shirk being practiced around you, you know, polytheism, atheism on the rise right now. I mean, so you can never really say Schools that you, you feel safe. And and mm-hmm. I'm not saying this to say that all the Muslim communities are completely, all the Muslim countries are completely free of it. However. It's like you can't compare those two. Yeah. 
you can't compare, you know, a place where it's thriving with massaging and the vans out loud, et cetera, to a place where it doesn't have none of that. You know, I like to give another example I like to give, which is that <laughs> example that, you know, that I've noticed. Mm. Difference between a Muslim country, <clears throat> obviously, differences are many. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but one practical difference. You can't, you can't compare. Yeah, you can't but compare. one practical difference that you will feel yourself if you just live in a Muslim country just for a couple of months mm-hmm. is that in the Muslim countries, right, the khair and the good is the default. And the shar is an exception to the rule. Exactly. Whereas there, the shar and the kufr is the default, mm-hmm. and the khair is an exception to the rule. Mm. So, what does that mean in real life? In real life, this is what it means. Let's take the second pillar of Islam, salah. In Muslim countries, yes, like here in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and other countries, sah, mm. the default is that the normal thing is that you pray mm. and that you go and pray in the masjid. So. That's, that's the normal thing, yes? So. so you'll find that people in this country, those that don't pray, is because they don't want to pray. Mm. That's, that's, they, they, they actively made the decision that, hey, this salah is not for me, I'm not going to pray. Mm. Okay? But in the West... And I'm not even talking about non-Muslims. I'm talking about the Muslims in the West. No. Yes? Mm. The default is, yes, not to pray salah. Mm. Among, if you look at the whole ummah, yani the, the whole society, like let's take UK, whatever. Yes? The vast majority of Muslims don't pray. Right? So it's uh. like, if you pray, it's like, that's like an exception to it. It's like, mashallah, you're a sheikh. Mashallah, you're practicing. Because yeah. you pray your five daily prayers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in the West, or when you live in this, those kind of countries, what happens is that prayer becomes not the default, it becomes a struggle. Mm. It becomes an active choice that you have. To, you have to go out of your way to pray your five daily prayers. You actually stand out for praying five times a day. It's like you're kind of like the exception to the rule. Okay. Now, if you compare these two things, then let me ask you this question: In which of these two societies are you more likely to establish the prayer mm. and be someone who steadfast upon their prayer? And in which of these two societies? is more conducive to you praying five times a day. The one whereby you stand out and it's an active choice and you have to plan everything and you have to come with contingencies and even your work and everything. Nothing is planned around the prayer. Nothing. Everything when it comes to your salah, you have to come with extra plans. Compare that to a Muslim country whereby when the adhan goes off, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go and pray, nobody's going to look at you. As a matter of fact, your boss is the first one to leave the office to go and pray salah. It's just, that's just the salah. Yeah, yeah. The second pillar of Islam. Yeah. Obviously, leave everything out. Let's not talk about everything no. else. I mean, that's. I don't. I don't understand how someone. Look, I understand how someone might be in the West, yes, having the intention of doing hijrah, trying their best but struggling. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala make it easy for them. And I advise such an individual to make this dua. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This is a dua in the Quran. Mm. Okay, that. Those who are mustadafin or those who are weak who can't leave, Allah says, they say, رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا مِنْ هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ الظَّالِمِ أَهْلُهَا وَجْعَلَّنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ وَلِيًّا وَجْعَلَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ نَصِيرًا That they say, oh Allah, allow us to leave this place whose people are, you know, people who are ظالمي, who are basically uh, oppressive to themselves and who are basically upon, uh, upon sin and oppression and make for us from you or sign to us from yourself Oh Allah, a waliyan, hmm. a protector and a nasir and someone who helps us. No. I used to make this dua when I used to live back in the UK and I really wanted to leave that place. And I advise everybody else to make this dua. Rabbana akhrijna min hadi al-qariyati al-zalimi ahluha waj'allana min ladunka waliyan waj'allana min ladunka nasira. So my point is if you have the intention to leave and Allah knows from you that you have the intention to leave, Allah will aid you. No. But the danger resides where, like the sister has put it, 
where people start feeling comfortable. That yeah. actually, they don't even, they don't even say to themselves that one day I'll make hijrah. They come to this sort of uh, mentality of, you know, thinking that now this is their place and they start planning for the future and future generations and, you know, uh, and they just, they don't even think about making hijrah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a very dangerous situation to be in. And even if they are going to say and they're going to argue, oh, we're comfortable, uh, our community, government allows us. Just look at the UK, how things changed, how quickly they changed. Wallahi, the UK that I left in 2013 mm. is not the same UK today. And everybody yeah. in the UK, I don't know about America, but it's completely changed. When yeah. it comes to the freedom that Muslims had in their Quran schools, and how they teach no, their no, kids and everything it has completely turned around yes and you don't know what the future has to hold right Sorry. now if you're someone might argue shaitan might come with this doubt mm-hmm. which is well in a muslim country things can change as well nah things can change but if they do change you're not held accountable mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you've done what's upon you so. you go to a muslim country and then things in that muslim country change and it turns out to be a place which is not conducive to your religion Okay, then you go and you move to another place. But you are then not held accountable, yes, for not having uh, left that place if that place was mm-hmm. previously good. But if you settle in the UK and then things turn around all of a sudden and mm-hmm. you're already settled mm-hmm. and now you have to make hijrah, you don't make hijrah, then you are held accountable, you know? Yeah. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Sheikh Uthameen, he mentioned about this, like about hijrah, generally speaking, and moving to the Muslim lands. He said this is from the one of the most difficult issues nowadays did to deal with because they vary so much. They 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 differ and vary for as far as the Muslim himself and his abilities, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. Also, upon the country itself. So, the country, are you able to be accepted in that country? Are you able to live there? What's the visa process, etc.? Then you got those people who might have even f- fleed, and that's another conversation, or left fled. I'm sorry, fled uh, a Muslim country possibly, or a place where they're being oppressed, but. Yani, because they're practicing maybe Quran and Sunnah, which you have nowadays, you have students who graduate and they can't go back to their country. Why? Mm. Because if they go back to this place, they know that you studied in Saudi Arabia, they know that you, you know, are practicing Quran and Sunnah, you got a beard, etc. They'll put you in prison and oppress you and your family, etc. So he said this is from the most difficult issues to talk about these days. Because if you say, okay, don't go to the, the camp for the camp for country, disbelieving country, and you're in a situation where you're really Muslim, yani, you're really oppressed, then we gotta ask the other question. Okay, who's gonna accept you, and who's gonna where are you gonna be? And uh, if we, I mean, it's just it's really difficult, you know, to go back there, and forth. There are some Muslim, okay, so, so there are some Muslim countries, as in Muslim countries, right? Mm-hmm. But it is worse to live there than actually living in the West. So some of the countries, like uh, close that's, to that's Russia, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm, I don't there, there are Muslim countries. Yeah, yeah there are Muslim countries, but because of their communist background or whatever. Yeah, uh, of course. If you slightly step out of line and you have a beard, or they think you're Wahhabi, yeah. you spend the rest of your life in prison. Exactly. You know, and, and if you're a Pantohid, you're happened. spending prison. And this is people we know who I know who have been imprisoned. Yeah. People who were studying for with being us a Pantohid, be a Pantohid. So there are places where you will be oppressed, even in places which you would say is. Uh, yeah, I mean, a Muslim area, generally speaking, a Muslim country. So anyway, it breaks down to three things. This is what I really want to get to and just give this for the takeaway. For This is for everyone to rec- yeah, I mean, think about their own situation. You have the person who is ob- is obliged for them to make hijrah. That's the person who is has the ability and they're also being oppressed in their countries so they can't make uh, they can't make the, the things which are wajib upon them. So they need to get out of there, as we talked about in the ayah. Then you have those people who are not obligatory upon. Like you mentioned in the second ayah, those people who are uh, the weak. 
So you have the weak amongst the men, the women and the children who cannot, yani, they cannot get a plan to get directly out of there. Uh, so that that's a situation where kalas, yani, it falls it falls from them, right? Then you have the third situation, and I think this is more so fits what the sister was asking in her question. Those are the people who it's not obligatory upon them to move because they're able to maybe uh, practice the religion to a certain degree openly. However, it's still mustahab for them because you're still amongst yani, the kufa, you're still in a, Muslim, a non-Muslim country. It's better to live amongst the Muslims for many of the benefits that are very clear that we don't even really need to talk about, even though we talked about some of them already. You should never that feel you comfortable. Should, you should get out of this area. Okay, I'm talking about the ruling, generally speaking. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about the ruling, generally speaking. Yeah. Yani, cause, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, let's be honest. There's some people who are, they don't, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. There's everybody's situation is different. It's 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 a difficult topic to have. Difficult. Let, let me add the one thing, one thing which one brother asked me actually yesterday. Mm. Yes, which is um, when you're making hijrah, you're making hijrah from, mm-hmm. right? You make hijrah from that place, mm-hmm. right, to a Muslim country, right? So the point is when you're making hijrah, it's more about leaving the place you're in than necessarily where it is you're going to. The options are many. But some people, they have this, and this brother who was asking me yesterday actually had this understanding. He's like, I can't do hijrah to a country unless I get the citizenship mm. and the for, for that country. Mm. Like, I have to be able to live there forever. Mm. Who made that stipulation? Who made the stipulation that if you want to make hijrah to a place, that that has to be your final abode. That has to be like your permanent... That's it. You don't go anywhere else after that. Like, mm. You go and you make hijrah to a place that is feasible today. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, for example, you come here to Saudi Arabia and you know, you've know you got a very good job, whatever. Okay, you made hijrah, you left those places. And then when this comes to an end, you go, you look to the next best best option. The problem the problem comes in with that, Akhi, would be, and I think this is where me and you differ, <laughs> but this would, the problem that comes in with this will be just the stability aspect of it. And this is why Sheikh Othemi mentioned that, about which mm. come, which which country will he able to be actually to settle in? Which which one are you able you to settle? Settle, settle doesn't settle, have settle to be means nationality. You're able, but you settle, generally speaking, meaning you're you're able to settle. The word settle, yani you're able to make hijra and settle in an area. For example, the 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 companions when they made uh, hijra to uh, Habasha, right? Even though that, and this is another thing that shows you could leave one mushrik area to another mushrik. There's a permissibility of that. However, that's not what I wanted to mention right now. What I was trying to say is that uh, yani they went there. And they settled. You get what I'm saying? So that was their abode. And this is where it becomes very difficult for people to have that conversation because it's like, okay, where can I settle? Because, again, you have kids. You have offspring. You have to worry about these things. Okay, let's put some of these Gulf countries aside. Maybe with I, I think I, 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 but there are some countries where you can go and you can settle. You don't have to have the nationality. I think, I think without going into intricates because mm. this will turn we into a whole before. thing. My advice for the people would be just to, if you fall, look at where you fall in these, these three categories that we just gave you. That's one. Second, if you fall into a situation where it's either wajib or mustahab for you, which is mo- most people more than likely, get your situation in order and look for places that will accept you and your family. Look for short term and long term. Take it to the scholars and say, Bismillah, this is what I have. What do you think? No. That's my advice because again, like Sheikh Damien said, it's really a difficult conversation to have. It's it's difficult to look at. I mean, it's not it's not the same as it was previously, where Hedra would be okay. I'm packing up my tent. I'm getting my book bag and everything, and, and we're going. Let's go. Bismillah. We're walking. We got our we got everything right here on, on my back. 
and if not on our back, on our on our horse or on our donkey. <laughs> yeah. we, this it's not that same situation. Now there's visa processes, there is a commas, there's passports, there's pa- paperwork involved. You know, at least I can say. At least I can say. <clears throat> do not lose your intention. Of course, don't lose the don't lose sight. Don't lose sight. You need to definitely still even keep if it in the mind. Even, do not leave the intention of making hijrah. No, inshallah, and make that dua. Put your trust in Allah. Allah will make way out. But I will say one thing, though. No? The more that you're financially established, the more options you'll have available. Of course. So if you're a person who... Or may, academically, too. Yeah. So if you're a person who um, you have a business, you have some money, you have some savings, etc., options are opening for you. Oh, you have Especially knowledge. in Saudi Arabia or other places. Go you, you go look out there. No. You know, now, now if you're somebody who's working uh, a job that may not have uh, give you that extra... For you and your children, maybe look at a way that you can put yourself in a way, uh, a, a position to better move. Because if not, it's going to be very difficult in this day and age. Which brings us to the importance of financial management. Financial management. And don't just squander your money on on, on luxury goods and nice cars and what no. have you. Save up money for the future. Sahih. Well, I, you'd never know how things can change. You never know, especially not any in those countries. Things Sahih. can change. Things change quickly sometimes. Sahih. So be aware of that. I think that's a good place to stop, Akhi. Barakallah fikum. One last thing, Akhi. Eh. Which is, and I always forget, eh. that, and I always uh, tell the audience in the podcast after I've launched the courses. So there are some courses coming up, mm. inshallah, before Ramadan. Montez. So I thought this time around, I'll tell the podcast audience before I actually open the enrollment so that I don't tell them afterwards. I meant to ask you about that, though, when we were discussing about the sacred mouse. Yeah, but then we forgot. Then we forgot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what are these classes that you have about to start in Ramadan? What is what's going on? Yeah, so inshallah, we finished Alhamdulillah study period three now, mm-hmm. and we're gonna start this special study period, which is preparation for Ramadan. Montez. Uh We're gonna take some of the previous courses that I've delivered, like the Quran reading course and the Tajweed course, uh, upload them to the website and turn them into self-paced courses mm-hmm. with exercises and everything, so everyone can study it at their own pace. Beautiful. I won't deliver it like live all over again because that there's no time for that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Um, also, obviously, the Tafsir program uh-huh. that's happening in Ramadan. Uh-huh. And the Tafsir program we've done for last year. So we do a Tafsir uh, program every Ramadan. Uh-huh. Last year, we've done from Surah Al-Baqarah to Surah Al-Kahf. So that's half the Quran. Uh-huh. It's not a detailed Tafsir. It's basically an overview of, uh-huh. of the ayah. Mukhtasar, yani. Yes. Uh-huh. So we're going to release that as well in preparation for this Ramadan. So if you haven't made it last year, then the person can watch it everything we've done last Ramadan, mm-hmm. which is the first half of the Quran. And then in Ramadan, we'll cover, we're going to cover the next half. Beautiful. So, so by Eid, you would have covered the whole Quran, inshallah. Beautiful. And these have an overview of all the different surahs in the Quran. So that's a tafsir program. And also, al Kareem, we have, I'm doing the Usul al-Thalatha class, and I'm thinking of increasing the, what we cover, so that we manage to Reach the uh, second question, which is Madinuk. Uh-huh. In it, Sheikh Al Salam Hamdulhab mentions Hadith Jibril, which talks about the five pillars of Islam. Jameel. So, if we reach that, hope the plan is we reach that before Ramadan so that we can cover how to pray, wudu, and how to fast. Montage. Basically, the five pillars of Islam, but go more detail into salah and psalm. Mm. So, that's also, inshallah, one of the, on, on, on the books and then we have the uh, dua and thicker course the daily dua and thicker course also we hope to uh, increase what we take so that we can learn 
and memorize some du'as that will come very handy in Ramadan, inshallah, very handy. So we're going to mention the du'a and explain its meanings and then also memorize it as well. And with all of these different courses come uh, workshops, practical workshops, so depending on each topic. So the Quran reading course, a practical workshop with a teacher, male or female, whereby you read from the Quran and you benefit Mm -hmm. and you practice it, tajweed, same thing. Uh, the, the daily du'a and dhikr course, actually memorizing the actual du'a, mm-hmm. reading it to a teacher and the likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's also on the cards, which uh, comes uh, with the with the uh, with these courses. Obviously, not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Those based on those are very limited, Montez. and I, I offer that on the different Patreon tiers. <coughs> but um, definitely so y- keep your eyes mm. peeled on the channel, because obviously I haven't. I mean, I'm telling you now, but even oh, my, put it out my Telegram audience doesn't even know it yet. Okay, Mumtaz, Mumtaz. So you're going sure. to get it together now for Ramadan in the next yes. month and a half? Yeah, so it's going to mm. be uh, announced towards the end of this week, basically. So by Friday, inshallah ta'ala. Beautiful, beautiful. It will be announced. So I just wanted to give them that because next time we do the podcast, it's like already yeah, <laughs> khalas yeah, yeah, is done. Yeah, People yeah. signed sorry, up. It's too sorry, late. Sorry. So keep your eyes, inshallah, join the Telegram channel. And, and, and look out for the updates, inshallah ta'ala, on Friday, bismillah al-kareem. Jazakallah khair. Akhi, may Allah ta'ala grant you tawfiq in your endeavors with that. And we ask Allah ta'ala to bless the viewers and listeners, who everyone who tuned in. Please remember to like, subscribe, comment, Mashallah. all that. <laughs> I beat you to it today, huh? Yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> um, and Allah ta'ala knows best.